So one of the things that I started to do, I got creative and I said, well, what would happen if, if my friends are going out to dinner or we're going out to grab a beer or something? What happens if I just take a sketchbook with me? And so I started drawing on site. I started going out with friends and I would take a sketchbook and I would sketch while we were out. And I do that all the time now. Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me today Robert Bean. Hi, Robert. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for joining me. What do you do, Robert? I am an artist and uh, a teacher. Great. And where do you teach? Uh, I am the department chair for painting and drawing at the Museum School of the Arkansas Art Center. Okay. And that's a newer endeavor for you? Yeah, I've been there for a year and a half, two years as a department chair. I taught classes for a little bit before that, but uh, running the classes, scheduling classes, that's all. Pretty recent. Okay, so more administration in with teaching. Um, some of it. I design um, for painting, drawing, and printmaking too. I design the uh, what classes we offer, okay. um, and and figure out you know, help bring in teachers, make sure things run smoothly in those departments, that sort of thing. Oh, okay, so there's some interviewing and a little bit. It's more of like we need somebody to teach painting. Who do I know that could do that? And you know, mm-hmm. go out and find them and hopefully bring them in. Find workshop artists, stuff like that. Trying to make it uh, good experiences for the students we have. That's great. And you also, in addition to that, you're doing your own work on the side. Absolutely, yeah. I have a a lot of different kinds of um, drawing and painting I do, uh, although all the the work I do has a a narrative focus to it. I I like storytelling in every form and fashion and find visual art far more exciting and enticing if if there's a narrative to it, if there's a story to it, something I can dig into. I grew up uh, reading comics, and that's what got me into art in the first place. And so that that idea of story and pictures has never left. And what are some of the ways you build a narrative into an image? Is it are there layers there? The viewer has to kind of step in a little bit. Yeah, I you know I've gone I've gone back and forth on that over the course of my career. Where for a while I was making it really ambiguous, and and you know I was using things like color and and shape and form to try to pull the viewer in and have them try to basically investigate and and solve the mystery of the the image and figure out the story that was going on behind it and then when I went back to a more realistic depiction of things and I got into writing I started to create titles that I saw as kind of like an opening line to a chapter so when you saw the painting on the wall you would read the title and go okay well how does that reconcile with the image I'm looking at and what happened before this and what's about to happen um, to try to generate some kind of idea of you know this, this span of time, this narrative, and even that has now evolved back into a more symbolic kind of approach where I'm doing a lot of uh, layers of depth and putting all these different symbols in. Like I might put something like a fox in the image because of the symbolism in the fox, or mm-hmm. um, I've really got into using the language of flowers, which is a kind of throwback to Victorian era, but you know, flowers all have this, this uh, symbolic meaning to them. And, I start putting all those little things into my uh, drawings in an effort to uh, get people who might actually know. It like adds this level of meaning and depth. I like the idea of a visual vocabulary, of reading a painting. Um, so that's kind of what's driving me right now. That's really beautiful. It makes me think of when I was in my English literature classes in high school. I had a teacher who was like, you guys are thinking 
up here, let's let's delve into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be the really profound beauty of the arts, whether it's writing or, or illustration, is how do you take a step in? How do you how do you think about it? it? Not only is it pulling emotions, but is it getting your brain to think? Right, right. Is it is it making you investigate? And, and to me, that's always. Um, and I've said this to to my students before. I've said it to other artists I know. Is like my biggest fear as an artist is that I'm going to put something on the wall, and when someone looks at it, they just kind of go, huh, and walk on. I'd rather them rage against it or absolutely love it because that means it's done something to engage them. It's hit on a level beyond just I'm looking at something on the wall. And so that idea of putting you know symbols in there and, and having figures actually doing something besides just sitting and, and that sort of thing, then that's all you know things I want to have in there. That being said, I do still do a lot of um, what I call kind of studies or practice stuff like figure drawing. So I'll have a lot of figure drawings out there, you know, that I might exhibit or whatever, but that's that's more of a technical practice. Um, the work I create, the stuff that I try to infuse, that's about story. Yeah. And you're a fine artist, so your work is in galleries and yes, on yeah. Although the the illustration bug is it, it's there, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm starting to work on a few projects now that I'm hoping will put my work out in a print form, which I've always always like that seeing my work in print you know when if I've ever had a piece in a magazine or anything like that like that always I really cherish that so in the same way except it's, it's a byline so yeah my name in print you yeah I, I enjoy that a lot <laughs> yeah well and that reminds me of something else that came up before we started recording is I, I assume that you were an illustrator mm-hmm. and a lot of people do because of that that narrative yeah and I have a very graphic style you know, growing up reading comic books and drawing comics as a kid, you know, there was a, a period in my early 20s where, you know, I really started to discover kind of art history and I was, I was finding all these different movements out and I started to experiment with all that kind of stuff. But I never could break away from that graphic influence. And so my work tends to have a very, has very heavy line quality to it. It has a very stylized graphic quality to it. Um, I actually really like putting like flat colors into it, make it look like it's something that's printed. And and I actually did a, a series of three large drawings this past spring for a show at, at Gallery 26, actually with, with Diane Harper. And the three drawings were eight feet tall by three feet wide. And they were, I was kind of playing on, um, if anyone knows who Alphonse Mucha is, an Art Nouveau illustrator, I was playing on his style and trying to do kind of a modern version of what he was doing. But I did them in charcoal. But I used the charcoal in such a way that everyone thought it was ink. I I didn't use charcoal in that traditional smudgy, smeary kind of way, you know, where you have these smoky kind of effects. It was all clean line, hard line kind of stuff. And everyone was like, these are ink drawings. I'm like, no, they're charcoal. And that's difficult to do with charcoal and get that super Mm -hmm. precise line. It very much can be, yeah. 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 And that's really cool. But are you, so you're from Little Rock? I grew up in North Little Rock, yeah. Little Rock, okay. And did you, so you were a kid. Where did it all start? It was comic books. It was comics. It was, I had that pretty traditional suburban, you know, I grew up in in Indian Hills in North Little Rock and, you know, I could ride my bike places, you know, I I can remember riding my bike to like Kroger and, and buying comics and, you know, doing chores in the yard to make enough money and then me and my friends getting someone's parent to take us to the comic book store to buy comics and we'd sit around with stacks of comics and read them all day long and but then I would try to draw them and that those were really I I can't remember ever not drawing I mean even when I was like 
three, four, like I was drawing then, mm -hmm. but comics were what finally gave it a focus. Uh, I was probably about eight or nine when I discovered comics, and I was like, I had that that light bulb go off. Of, Someone's getting paid to make this. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, there's this is a job. You you can get you can do this as a job. And from that day forward, I was like, well, this is what I wanted to do. Now it changed from just being strictly a comic book illustrator to being a artist on a lot of different levels mm -hmm. as I grew older. But that idea of, oh, I can draw pictures and someone will pay me money for this and this can be my job. Yeah, that was that was all due to comics. That's crazy. And what was kind of that that connection for you when you when you saw the comic book for the first time, or you you wanted to delve into what what really pulled you into those worlds? It was. I mean, comics have a they have. There's a dynamic power to them, and and that idea that I can I can experience a story not just you know words, but also with images. Um, that was very powerful for me. The idea that, you know, I can look at this and go, okay, wait, these seven panels in a row all relate to each other, and I can follow the flow of narrative through this, and then read all these wonderful words at the same time. I mean, that was, that was a hook. It was too strong. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And I had, I had to read as much as I could of that. It took me, I, I was actually in college before I got into comic books, but for me as a kid, it was just books in general, mm -hmm. and like you step into another world, and it, it all, everything opens up, it's suddenly, it's beyond who you are at that time, or whatever you're experiencing, or whatever you're going through, you can leave that behind for a little bit. Yeah, um, that's yeah. A, that's, that's magic. You know? Yeah, really yeah. Magic. I mean, there's some escapism in it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's also one of the wonderful things, you know, I could, like I said, we'd spend an afternoon with a pile of comics, you know, mm -hmm. and read them, and... I could go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I was necessarily trying to escape my life. It was that I was trying to expand it. Mm -hmm. I wanted other, you know, other. I wanted to see other places, you know. Mm -hmm. There might be a comic where all of a sudden the heroes are like in Paris or something. And I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I was trying to experience the world, I think, in a different way because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really opens up horizons. Right? Yeah. And then did you go to college for art? What was your... Yeah, I did. I had a very roundabout experience, though, with college. I was in art all through high school and loved it and wanted to be a comic illustrator and all this kind of stuff, but it was one of those things where I kind of got to the end of my high school career, and there was a little bit of that, you know, well, you have to find a way to make this a real job, you know, and I think a lot of artists come up against that. They're young, they're, they're excited about this, and then while they were supported, you know, growing up, then all of a sudden they hit this how are you going to make money at this? How are you going to, you know, which is a natural fear for family and friends and everything. They want you to be okay. Mm -hmm. But w I don't think we do a good enough job of teaching the business side of it. How do, how do I make a living as an artist? Um, we'll do everything we can to prepare you to make images. Mm -hmm. But then we, you know, put you out on the street and we're like, good luck. Yeah, figure it uh, out. Figure it out. Yeah. And so I went to, I ended up kind of compromising out of high school and I ended up spending a year at the University of Tennessee as a graphic design major. And I came out of that with a, a really wonderful 0.92 grade point. After my first year, I did not do well. And I transferred at that point and uh, spent a couple years at Hendricks College. And, and while I enjoyed it and I loved the learning environment there, it, I still hadn't found what I needed. And I ended up um, at that point leaving school for about eight years. And then as I got older and you know, I just kept working on my craft on the side and was working odd jobs, doing what I could, moved around a little bit. Um, and then I was like, when I kind of knew it, I was like, this is what I need. I came back to UA Little Rock 
and finish my degree. But at that point, I knew what I wanted out of the experience, which made it so much better. I could go in and I could go to a professor and, and say, I'm struggling with this. How can I get better at this? What do I need to do? I had very specific questions I could ask. Um, and they were really great at, at helping me solve those problems and, and start to develop what I needed to, to do. At that point, it's all kind of fallen into place. But yes, I, I have an art degree. I just took a very long time and a very roundabout way of getting it. And I don't ask that question to say that, oh, well, it, it legitimizes your career. Right. Because right. I don't think it necessarily always does. Yeah. I think there's a lot about the practice and the craft and the mm-hmm. experience. But I, I'm also very interested in how people get to where they are. Yeah. Um, and I do think, I, I love what you said, too, about that you knowing what you wanted out of it. Because when mm-hmm. you're 18 years old, all of a sudden this burden of what you're going to do with the rest of your life sits on your shoulders. Right. And no one helps you get to that point or right. process it. And it does take a long time to figure out, well, what do you what do you love? Or do you have to set aside love to be practical? Right. And what you what you really care about, do people even want to pay you for it? Right. And do you push through that if nobody wants to pay you for it and try to convince people to pay you for it? So finding, you know, melding all that together is very difficult. And it, it does take time. I think that... When you're 18, to I think you can you can have this idea of this passion and go, I love this. This is a wonderful thing. I love to sit down and draw. I love to paint, write, act. You know, it, it doesn't have to be art either. It could be you know a science. You know, I love biology. I love these things. And you have a passion for it. And I think all too often we don't do a good enough job of of helping someone at that age go. Well, how do you do this then as a profession? How do you sit down, you know, and say, okay, I want to be a, um, I think it's, it's easier for some fields because someone will hire you. But in the case of like the arts, unless you're trying to get hired to like work in a museum or, or work in a gallery or whatever else, I think we need to do a much better job of saying, this is very self-driven and you have to have the discipline to do it and the desire to do it. And you need entrepreneurial skills. Mm-hmm. You need someone to take a class on basic accounting, take a class on marketing. You need to do the, these things to to learn what you're doing. You can't just rely on, you know, galleries to sell your work and being discovered one day. You have to get out there and work and work really, really hard. You have to understand if I'm going to do this, I'm probably going to work harder than a lot of my peers. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot of nights where they're going to want to go out and do stuff, and I'm like, I got to go draw. You know, and and you have to do that. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot recently about this idea of practice before monetizing something. Because mm-hmm. I think so much, especially in our current society, people are like, well, you have to monetize, you have to monetize. Well, can you even do the thing yet? Can you, can you do right. it well? Right. You know, and how are you building? You Your practice was, all right, I'm not going to go out with friends because I need to set aside this time today to do this. And you made sacrifices. And that's part of the practice. And that ultimately led to being able to monetize, but it wasn't right away. So how did that work for you? You kind of took eight years to figure it out, get your degree, and then you were able to start making money with your art. How did that? I actually, the, the first the first art I sold actually was in high school. I ended up getting a few you know people that would pay me like $50 to do a drawing form mm-hmm. or something like that. So I knew it was, it was possible even when I was a teenager. Um, but as, as far as consistent income, it took a little while. But I think that you also have to be creative. If you're a creative person, you also have to be creative with your time. And so, you know, going back to that idea of, you know, my friends wanted to go out and I had to draw. 
I, I when I was in my mid twenties, I I ran into a problem of I had to work. Um, I was working in restaurants. You know, you got to work so many hours a week because you have to be able to eat. You have to be able to put a roof over your head. You know, those sorts of things. So I got I got to pay for things. So I need money, and I'm not selling enough yet. So there's a certain number of hours a week I have to devote to this other thing. But there's also the number of hours a week I have to devote to my craft. I have to practice. I have to draw. I have to create. At the same time, I don't want my life to be nothing but I go to work and then I come home and go to work. Mm-hmm. And you know, my friends would want to go out. So one of the things that I started to do, I I got creative and I said, well, what would happen if if my friends are going out to dinner, or we're going out to you know grab a beer or something? What happens if I just take a sketchbook with me? And so I started drawing on site. I started going out with friends and I would take a sketchbook and I would sketch while we were out. And that practice has actually changed over the course. I do that all the time now. I, I ended up taking that idea of going out and drawing back in the early 2000s. I, I actually created an entire exhibition based off that where I went to um, the Flying Saucer in Little Rock. I, I went, started on a Monday and I went through Saturday and I got there at four o'clock every day and I would stay until close and I would sketch and sketch and sketch and I did it for you know six days straight. Then I took all those sketches and I, I would take the sketches back into the studio and blow them up into bigger drawings and I did an entire show based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually still draw all the time now with that. I actually teach a class at the Art Center called Urban Sketchbook. That's the idea of take your sketchbook, get out, draw the city, draw what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I encourage my students, if you're sitting around at like the doctor's office Take a sketchbook, draw in the waiting room. If you're sitting at the DMV, draw while you're sitting there. Mm-hmm. Waiting for your car to get fixed, sketch. Mm-hmm. You can find time to sketch. You can find that time to, to keep the drawing skills live mm-hmm. um, because we have a lot more dead time during our days than we realize. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea of developing those kinds of disciplines that eventually roll around into making money because as soon as you start to create enough and you start to draw enough, you start to build that body of work. And once you start to build the body of work, then you can start to show it. But it took me, you know, it took me 10 years of figuring things out. I, I, I do look back at that period in my 20s and go, what if I'd had that, that mentor when I was, you know, 21 years old that came, who could come in and say, you got to do this and this and this. And, you know, maybe I would have started to make money earlier. But, you know, I was in my late 20s before I started to make money somewhat consistently with my work and and it's still not like I can't just count on every month I'm going to make this much money with it it tends to come in chunks I have an exhibition and then bam I sell a whole lot of work and then you know three months go by and I'm not selling consistently during that amount of time and then you know come in another chunk and that's what I'm now working on is how do I get it to be more of a consistent month-to-month income with sales yeah seems like it's all it's all a process it's all a process. I mean, it's a process in the studio. It's a process outside of the studio. And, and I think if you're going to make it as an artist, you have to be not only understanding of the fact that you have a passion with this thing and, and you want to be in the studio, but you have to, if even if you don't have a passion for it, you have to have a tolerance for sitting at a desk with a computer and like marketing and discipline you, you got to sit down and go well i got to balance the checkbook i've got to you know yeah. i've got to sit down and and i've got to make social media posts i have to i have to design a flyer i have to you know make ads i have mm-hmm. to you know i've got to send portfolios out i've got to 
you know, create proposals, write grants. You have to do all these different things and they take a chunk of your day. Um, it's not just, you know, sitting in the studio all day. And those are where the being an entrepreneur skills come in. You have to right. think about. So it was what was that process like for you to realize, all right, I can't just be like I'm practicing. Mm-hmm. I can't just be in the studio all day. I have to get out there. How did that happen? I, I think I'm a little bit lucky in in my upbringing when it comes to that, because I had a a, a father who started his own business. And my mother was the executive director of a, a, a large nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And I would work part-time from, for them, you know, occasionally. And because of having, I basically was around that. You know, my father was an entrepreneur. He started his own business. And, and because of that, I picked up a lot of things that some people might not. But it is kind of an understanding of, uh, you know, there's a business side to it. And even... Though I had all that, I also spent years, anytime I could find a book on the business of art, anytime I could find a book about business practices or marketing, I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would do my best to absorb it. And then I also did something a few years ago that also really helped. And and I highly recommend this for any artist. Start doing your own shows. When you have to do everything that the gallery does, it makes you appreciate what the gallery does so much more. And so I ran an exhibition program, a couple of them actually, uh, through a, a corporate office downtown. And actually I did the art program. Diane started it at Muggs Cafe in North Little Rock. And then after a year, she needed to move on to other projects. And so I took it over from her and I did that for a few years. And working with other artists and hanging shows every other month and marketing those shows and doing all the stuff that goes into it and how do I sell this work, what I learned from that experience is invaluable and and i think sometimes it's easier if it's not your work if you're trying to sell the work of another artist because you can talk them up you can see it from that different vantage point Um, when it's your own work sometimes you're so too close you're too close Mm -hmm. and so it's harder to sell your own work so if you ever have the chance try to sell someone else's put a show on for another artist and see what it's like to to go around and shake all those hands and, and talk about someone else's work and how do you speak about it? How do you how do you close the sale? How do you go in and say, oh, that phrase that person just said, that means they're actually really interested in this. What do I do to get them to actually, you know, give me a credit card and, and process that sale? Oh wow! So it's it, not just it's not just organizing it and getting mm-hmm. all the artists and marketing it, but your sales work too, which is the whole nother. That's a whole thing. nother thing, right? Yeah. You have to learn how to be a salesman. Essentially, you have to go in and say, okay, it, it's that kind of difference between oh, I really like this, and you know what? This reminds me of that time with my grandmother back in Illinois when, Mm. and as soon as you hear something like that, you're like, they're invested in it. The storytelling. The storytelling's there. They're like, oh, this piece actually has meaning for them. And it sounds kind of cold to say, oh, I got it now. I'm going to get the sale out of this. But it's also, you've also found someone that is latching on to a piece. And, And to me... That's the powerful part of it. And I want them to take that home. Mm-hmm. That emotional connection. If there's a connection there, I want, it, I want it to be with them. You know, mm-hmm. It means something to them. Then let's get that piece with them and get it on their wall so they can continue to live with it and enjoy it and, and keep experiencing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, a, that's just a lot, of, that's a lot of work. All of that yeah. is a lot of work. So how did you start to combine all those skills um, and really be able to become a full-time artist and how did you sort all that out it was bits and pieces I mean I'm not gonna say that it, it 
came easier or was like there's a there was a, a select path for it. The art always comes first. Um, and, and that's something I try really hard to teach is no matter what you're trying to do as, as a professional artist with professional practices, you have to have this kind of core circle that everything else orbits around that is the art. If you're not making enough art, nothing else matters. All those other things don't matter. You have to have something to sell. You have to have something to exhibit. So if you're not making it, it doesn't matter. And I think that's, I know this happened to me a couple times as I was learning those skills, I would lose sight of being in the studio because I was getting so involved in, oh, I'm learning how to put a show up. Oh, I'm learning how to do this. And I would lose sight of actually making my own work. And you have to say, okay, no, priority is is making art first. And I, I have to have so many hours a week in the studio making work. And then I'll figure out what to do with it. But there was no straight path to this. I mean, I think the first thing I really learned was how do you work with a gallery? Um, and, you know, I had some some hard lessons there and, and uh, always get everything in writing. And, you know, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you I, I ran into some snafus working with galleries and, you know, approaching galleries and realizing, oh, I shouldn't have just walked in out, you know, off the street. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a lot of kind of naive things that happen when you're young. And, uh, and sometimes you take those hard lessons home with you and you say, okay, I won't do that again or, mm-hmm. or whatever else. But it's also kind of once I built on that, then I'm, you start to see, oh, art galleries are wonderful. And if you find a good gallerist to work with, it's one of the best relationships you can have. But they're also not the only thing. Uh, and I think that's that's one of the conclusions that Diane and I have, have come to recently. Um, you, were, you mentioned earlier, and, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, Diane and I were like, well, this just sounds like a cool idea. Let's go do it. Mm-hmm. And and who would put this on the wall for us? You know, what, yeah. what venue can we talk to? Mm-hmm. And Well, let's rewind just a, a speech sure. with that. So you and Diane, mm-hmm. Diane Harper, I've had her on the podcast. Yeah. Both of her and your names came up with Arkansas Arts Council mm-hmm. when I met with them. How did you two become friends? Because it's kind of a best friend working artist relationship. Actually, through school. Okay. We were both at UA Little Rock at the same time okay. um, and met through classes there. And it was one of those things where we got to know each other through classes and, and became friends. And when we both graduated, you hit that. And, and we were both older students. Mm-hmm. And we still hit that, oh, there's no more. We see all these people every week. We're now, we're out in the cold, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we did is Diane and I start, we just decided, let's stay in touch mm-hmm. and let's get together every other week and have lunch. And it just started with lunches. And that grew into, you know, inviting some other artists. And, and it kind of, I think that was one of the first things we really kind of started to do together. We ended up inviting these other artists and that grew into what became known as the Art Bunch. And I think they still meet like yeah. every Thursday morning. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. But that became this like kind of social group that was about business of art and what you're, you know, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there were some times where we would get together and there'd be 15, 16 artists having coffee. Wow, that's awesome. And then Diane and I got too busy and we weren't able to, to go mm-hmm. anymore. But that was kind of, I think, one of the first things we, we did was just, let's just get together and have lunch. Mm-hmm. No and we pressure. still do that all the time. Yeah. No pressure on that. Let's just talk. That's it. Well, let's just talk. What are you working on? What are you working on? You know, um, and help each other. And so, and as we've, you know, over the years, we've kept in touch and kept working. We started saying, well, let's put a show on together or let's do this together. You know, like I said, she started the program at Mugs and then Mm -hmm. I kind of ran with it, you know, from what she was doing. 
But, you know, then we started to collaborate on shows and that's where it's really been, that's where it's fun. I love working with her and, and I think we both have not only the creative side of it, but we're, we both work hard at the marketing and the business side of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you find that artist that is on both those levels with you, you know, that's the one you're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta keep working together and, and, you know, come up with all kinds of cool projects and stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know as much about the art world as I do as the writing mm-hmm. world. Um, I used to be an you know an artist, but kind of changed. And there there seems to be a lot of competition as a writer. Is there that sort of same competition as an artist, or do you feel like artists are more open to collaboration because styles are so different and audiences are different? Clients. I, I think that's more of a geographical thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my experience with like a lot of artists in, in Central Arkansas is. We all like each other and we want to help each other. There isn't a lot of that, well, I'm going to compete against this artist and, you know, I don't want them to, to get this, you know, this show or, or get this grant or whatever, you know. I mean, we all, we all are essentially vying for some of the same things, but we're also really positive and encouraging about it. We all, we see each other at openings. We, you know, support each other by, you know, hey, I heard you had this show, how'd it go? You know, stuff like that. We all want, it seems like everyone around here really kind of wants the art community to thrive and be successful. But I've also been around some artists I know that live in like larger metro areas and it's not like that. It is a lot more cutthroat. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, that artist isn't going to get over me on this and, you know, I've got to get this show over them and I can't believe they got in that gallery and, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, and I don't, I don't feel like we have that same ultra or competitiveness on that level mm-hmm. here. I think we're competitive in some ways of, you know, well, oh man, I just saw what, you know, that artist did at that show and wow, I, you know, it's time to up my game in the studio. I need to get in the studio and make some work because, Mm -hmm. you know, that stuff was amazing. And I think you have that, but I don't have that sense on a local level of that kind of cutthroat competitiveness on a national level, like trying to get into other galleries and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does seem a lot more competitive in that way, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get bigger projects, stuff outside of the state. Stuff like that, yeah. It is interesting to kind of see, you know, how different communities handle it. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert, what are some of your goals moving forward with your art and everything you're working on? Actually, I want to do some bigger projects. That was, I've done, I've done a lot of exhibitions at this mm-hmm. point in my career. I look back at it, especially running those programs where I'm like, I, I sat down one day and, and looked at the, with those exhibition programs that I was running where I was more of a curator rather than an artist. And I was like, mm-hmm. I've worked with over, I think it was like over 120 artists in five years. And that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And and I hung a ton of shows. I mean, if, if you're, I at one point had three locations I was hanging shows and I was doing them every two months. And so, you know, you start looking at that and you're like, wow, that's, you know, at least a dozen shows a year that I was putting on. A couple of years, it was, you know, 18 that I was, I was trying to put together. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. So the whole... Just doing an exhibition thing, I kind of feel like I got it. <laughs> I don't feel like there's, you know, a whole lot there in terms of learning. The learning curve is is flattened for me in terms of exhibitions. I mean, there's always something to learn, but it's not that like, oh, we sh- we should have done this or the, you know, it's more about little tweaks here and there for that. So what I'm looking at now, I I think the 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 pieces I did back in the spring kind of are the springboard for this. I want to do some large stuff. I, I, I want to get into doing like, what happens if I do a drawing that's, you know, 15 feet long and 15 feet high, okay. you know, and where can I show that? Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of things. I want to get to make these, these large works. 
and get back to doing some really, like I said, getting my stuff in print. I'm starting to do, it sounds weird, but I'm kind of going extremes. I either want to draw really, really big, or I want to draw these really, really small things that are going to get in print. Uh Um, But the, uh, you know, I'm not going to stop my exhibition practice, but the, the excitement for me is more in those extremes right now. Starting to push yourself. Yeah. Where can we find your work currently? I've always got stuff at Gallery 26 in Little Rock. In fact, I've got six pieces I just dropped off for their holiday show that they do every year, which is always a really great show. So go by and you know check out that. They have, I think, like 70 artists in the show. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a ton of artists. Yeah. Um, so it's always a really fun show. Mm-hmm. Other than that, my work tends to pop up from place to place. It's more of like, oh, well, Diane and I put a show together, and then it's going to be here, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So we've got lots of things planned for 2019. Um, I'll have stuff at the Argena Gallery at some point. We're putting together another show for another location. Uh, I'm working on a figurative show with a couple other artists for the fall. So you'll see my work pop up around town from time to time. But as far as just every day, Gallery 26 is where I've got stuff. Awesome. And I think that was all of my questions. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? If you're, if you're a young artist out there, you have to understand what you're getting into. Get the degree if, if you feel like that's the route you need to go. But while you're there, take advantage of stuff like, as, as not exciting as it may be, learn to market, learn to do some of those other things. Uh, and don't be afraid to pick the brains of your professors. You know, they've, they've done this. Find other artists that do this and, and ask those questions. You know, make your life as, as easy as possible. There's no, you don't have to reinvent the wheel on this. There's a lot of us that have done this. And that's, you know, when I look back on my career, that's kind of the one thing that, like, I wish I had done more when I was in my early 20s. I guess most people do. But I wish I'd asked these questions. I wish I had looked at it from this standpoint. Yeah. And Robert, where can we find your work online? You have Instagram? Uh, my Instagram account is the, the best place to see my work because that's the one I probably post to consistently. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just RB Fine Art. If you look RB Fine Art up um, on Instagram, you all, I'll post stuff there all the time. I do have a website. That is rbfineart.com. Uh, there's not a lot on it right now because I just rebuilt it, but I'm, st- I'm going to have a full portfolio on there fairly soon uh, of work like that. I use Facebook and I have a Facebook page. I just, my personal account gets a lot more attention. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. especially now that Instagram's linked to it. So, if I post on Instagram, it'll auto post to Facebook and mm-hmm. all of that. So, I tend to, you know, you're welcome to friend me on Facebook. It, you know, it's Robert Bean. You can just look me up. And I'll post a lot that way. But, yeah, that's pretty much it. Perfect. This has been Sustaining Craft with Elizabeth Silverstein and my guest today, Robert Bean. This podcast is possible with the support of friends. Joshua Kurtz, who edits the audio. Morgan Elaine of the Inkling Girl, who provided the local artwork. And Jim Chiago, who created the original music. Catch Jim playing around Denver most weekends as Nomad Neighbors or Under 7 Second Chance on iTunes or Spotify. And I'd like to add local magazine to the list. We have a mutual mission of telling the story of hardworking creatives and would like to encourage residents to connect with their local businesses, designers, shops, chefs, 
to shop local, to eat local, and to appreciate the local community no matter where you are. But if you are in Little Rock, catch a condensed version of a sustaining craft article in each local magazine or the full version weekly wherever else you are on hueandweld.com. That's H-E-W-A-N-D-W-E-L-D.com. Robert, before we sign off completely, what is a concrete tip you could provide to someone maybe just getting into their their career or maybe building it later in life what is a a marketing tip you might want to offer or a question you would suggest they ask to pick someone else's brain get that information if you're trying to learn how to do this don't forget that the art is the core it's what your marketing comes from it's what your teaching will come from it's what anything you do exhibition wise or with your work it comes from that work. And a lot of times I'll see artists that are trying to, to get really clever with marketing or other things. And I'm like, that actually, you, you've gone away from your work at this point. And your work is what brings people in. It's what they come back for. It's why they're interested in the first place. It's your story. So don't lose sight of your story. Remember what it is. And that's always at the core of everything you do. 